Lonely song, the song's for you. There's an American idiom, and it is the tail wagging the dog. Now, if you go and look up this idiom in the dictionary, it will be defined as a situation where a small part is controlling the whole of something. How this relates to esoteric ideas may not be immediately apparent, but you know me, I have a way of finding something that, for me, reminds me of an esoteric idea. And the tail wagging the dog reminds me of an esoteric idea, or a number of esoteric ideas, actually. It really does relate in a meaningful way to esoteric ideas. These ideas can be applied anywhere in life. The horrible thing about them is if they're not applied, they become stagnant, like standing water that breeds nasty things. It, they start to stink, and they start to breed nasty things, like mosquito larvae. And then the next thing you know, you have mosquitoes. The next thing you know, you have parasites preying on you, sucking your blood, sucking your life energy, sucking your life force. And that's what these ideas do if they're not applied, if they're just left to sit in the intellect. If they get stuck in the intellect and they never get down any deeper, if they never get to the emotional center, then they begin to stagnate. And they become, as I said, like just these standing water breeding grounds. Now, understanding is the force that enables us to properly relate one thing to another. The greater the understanding, the greater number of relationships. So if understanding is the ability to relate one thing to another, then it's to see how they are related, what their relationship is. And if you can add more things to it, then you can see that there are more relationships. The greatest understanding would be able to see how everything in the universe is directly related. We don't have that great understanding, but the understanding that we do have is the understanding that we have to work with. It's no good trying to pretend that you have greater understanding because that falls apart fast and that's all intellectual. None of that has really reached the emotional center. None of that is direct experience, direct knowing. All of that is filtered through the intellectual center. It's great. It's a great place to start with the ideas. You have to hear them first before you can do anything about them. But the problem is, is we are hearers and not doers. It's so much easier to hear. It takes so much less energy, so much less effort, so much less time. Someone else can put forth the energy and the effort to tell us about it. And we can sit there and listen and be entertained or be uplifted or be enlightened or feel like we are, even though it's just sticking in the intellectual center and it's not really making it to anything more real, deeper inside of us that could connect us with something higher. So last week we talked about how taking ourselves as just a physical body hinders our development by giving us a wrong impression or wrong feeling of ourselves. Our feeling of I, our feeling of who we are, is related to the body. So we look in a mirror and we say, yes, well, there I am. And who's looking? Well, I'm looking at me. And you know, I'm looking at my reflection in the mirror. And we discussed last week about how, no, that's not you looking at your reflection in the mirror. And I don't know how you've done this week, even practiced it at all. When you look in a mirror, say, that is not I. The body is looking at the body. Here's the body looking at a reflection of the body. But I am back here behind the body, looking through the body, like looking through a submarine window out into the ocean. All right, so that's the idea. The cult of the body is alive and well in our world today. It is the tail wagging the dog. The body, being the ultimate part of us, the most extreme external part of us, is really the smallest part of us. 
The biggest part of us is higher up. We are not aware of what the biggest part of us is. Real I. We don't really know what real I is. We only know of the idea of real I. But we don't have much contact with real I. Maybe a flash now and again. But we don't even know that. Maybe it's just a flash of something higher, but not real I at all. And then what stands behind real I, obviously, is the Absolute, the Creator, God, if you will. So here we are all the way down the line, all the way down the ladder, as it were, down to the body. And so here's this little part, and it is wagging the whole part. It is this little part that is controlling the whole of us. And how it does that is, events come and touch the body, sensations touch the body, sights come into the eyes, so all of these sensations through the five senses, and then the body starts to jerk and move and spaz around. And then the next thing you know, it's moving you around. It's moving you here. It's moving you there. It's giving you this thought. It's giving you that feeling. So basically, we're kind of the tail wagging the dog. And so that's why we're doing this a dog's tail, because it reminds me of how backwards we are, how turned around we are, how wrongly connected we are that the tail is wagging the dog, that the small part is controlling this bigger part. Some teach... Being self-directed isn't being life-directed. This isn't the case. It's the error of the self-help movement, which has failed in every way except financially. The only thing the self-help movement has really done for anyone is made millionaires of some people who have been proselytizing it, who have been basically advertising it, pumping it up, and making a living from it. The self-help movement hasn't done much, and the reason is because the self that it's helping, it's usually so connected with the body and it's all related to the body that it is just part of the cult of the body. Instead of the tail wagging the dog, it's the ear or the leg wagging the dog. So we have a self-help movement, so now it looks different, it looks better, because it's more positive than robbing banks. You're helping yourself in a different way. Except that you're not. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And the reason it's not doing what it's supposed to do is because it's working from the outside in. And esoteric teachings do the same thing. They work from the outside in until you can get the ideas on the inside. And the only way to get the ideas on the inside is by practicing them, by applying them. And this is the one thing we are reticent to do, unfortunately, because it takes so much effort, because it's so difficult. The self we use to help ourselves is acquired in life. And therefore, it serves life. It doesn't serve something higher. It's not interested in anything higher. It's interested in its own self-interest. The one thing that you can say about the self that we are stuck in, the false personality, this thing that we are stuck in, the one thing that you can say consistently across the board is it's full of self-interest and self-love. And so what it's looking for is to advance itself, to protect itself. And if that means putting others down, or eliminating others in order to protect itself and advance itself, then it's willing to do that. Because it doesn't have higher laws to obey. It doesn't have bigger eyes with more understanding that it listens to. It listens to the five senses and the fear and the anxiety and the greed and all of the things that come through the five senses. It listens to what those little eyes are telling it. If the self you're remembering is the body, it's not the self-remembering that can free us from our prison. The self-remembering that can free us is, in the words of Morris Nichol, the practice of a certain relation of consciousness to one's body and through it to the world 
as rendered by our senses. Now think of yourself as an artist for a moment. It's not going to be too difficult for some of you because you are. But think of yourself as an artist and you look at a tree. And what you're really going to do if you have a piece of paper in front of you and a charcoal or a brush or crayon or pencil or whatever, what you're going to do is you're going to try and render that tree onto that paper. You're going to try and take the form, the shape, the lights, the darks, the structure of it, and you're going to try and render it onto that paper. You know that you can't put the tree on the paper, but you're going to render some kind of an image of it on the paper. This is exactly what the five senses are doing. The world, as we know it, is only like that tree on a piece of paper. It has been rendered by the five senses. It is not the real world. It's just an image of it, a rendering of it. And the rendering is only as good as the five senses. And the five senses are terribly flaky. They're not really founded on anything solid. Because everything they're founded on, everything they're attached to, everything they're glued to, and that's what a foundation is, it's what you're glued to, everything they're glued to is out there in the world. And that's changing all the time. So how can they be stable if the world that they're glued to is constantly changing? That's like gluing your hands to the bumper of a car and then the car drives away. Well, you're going with it. Until you get your hands off that bumper, you're going with it. I know, that's a strange image, but it was one that popped into my head because when I was a kid, when it snowed, we used to go and we'd wait between cars at a red light, and then a car would come along, and the streets were all snowy. A car would come along, we'd go out and grab the bumper. Well, back then, bumpers were made of metal, and they were chromed. They weren't the plastic bumpers you see today. They were chromed. And if your gloves were wet, or if you weren't wearing gloves, then the moisture from your hands or the moisture from your gloves would stick to the bumper and freeze to the bumper. Sometimes it was really hard to let go of the bumper. So the light had turned green, and the car would go, and you would slide along on your feet and take a ride wherever you were going. So if you were going three blocks up, the idea was to go three blocks up and then let go, and, and you had your ride without having to walk or run to get there. So that's what we did when we were kids, yes, and there many of us lived through it, unbelievably. <laughs> and I'm, I'm here to tell the story, and yes, and I, I kept all the skin on my hands because I always wore gloves. And I do remember, I think, leaving a, a pair of gloves on a bumper of a car once, though. I had to pull my hands in order to get free. I had to pull my hands loose. But you know, that's how life is. We get our five senses attached to life, and it's the same kind of thing. It, it won't let go of us. And we don't know how to let go of it. And so esoteric teachings come along and they act like kind of like an ice scraper, you know, and they, they'll scrape your hands off the bumper or even some heat. You know, that's another way to do it. You get some heat on to the bumper or the gloves and they'll come free. You know, that was the image and that's the idea. And now you see why we end up with talks like a dog's tail, because my mind works like this. If you can't see the movement of esoteric ideas, if you can't see the manifestation of esoteric ideas in everything in life, then I have to ask you, what are you doing? This is something that has to be applied to life, and all of life applies to it, and it applies to all of life. There's no special place. You don't go to some church or some meeting or some special group and apply these ideas. These ideas need to be applied in life, everywhere, in everything that we do. And until that happens, we are not going to make the kind of progress that we hope to make in our psychological evolution, in our spiritual evolution. We're not going to progress. The acorn, the seed that we are, is not going to grow into what it is supposed to be unless we put forth this kind of effort in all things. 
I know that's an unpopular idea, or it's a great idea, but it's an unpopular practice because people don't want to do it. They have other things they want to do. They need to go to the movies. They need to go to dinner. They need to go over here. They need to go to this play. They need to go to the orchestra. They need to go and see this. They need to go and do that. They need to spend time with their family. They need to go to work. They have all these things that they need to do, and they look at these things as separate, apart from applying esoteric ideas to their lives. And that is the tail wagging the dog. That's the smaller part, which is life. Wagging the bigger part, which is you. Life was made for you. You were not made for life. It's like Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, they couldn't get that. They thought that the law was the primary thing, just like we think that life is the primary thing. But it's not, not this life. It's not the primary thing. There is something else, there is more to you than meets the eye. There is more to you than can be grasped or apprehended or understood through the five senses. And that is the self that we need to be remembering. So consciousness, the body with its five senses and the external world of things and people or the tail of the dog, as it were. So the external world full of things and people, I'm calling the tail of the dog. And then if you go backwards from there, if you work backwards from there, you see that we have the external world of things and people, and you take a step back, and you have the five senses, and then you take a with the body, and you take a step back from that, and you have consciousness. So what you are essentially is consciousness. Well, in our case, what we are essentially is unconsciousness. And that unconsciousness makes it possible for the tail to wag the dog. It's only when the dog can wake up a little bit that it can start wagging its tail. We hear the ideas, we want to start wagging our tails immediately. And that's what self-help is. The self-help movement is the illusion that you're awake and you can wag your tail. When you're not doing it at all, it's all just imagination. It lasts 72 hours about, and then it starts to go downhill quickly. And the next thing you know, you're back in need of another self-help book, or another self-help seminar, or another self-help guru, or another self-help whatever. So, the balance necessary for proper self-remembering is to attain and maintain this relation between the three. You can't be just consciousness because you have to be conscious of something. Consciousness of itself is nothing. There must be something that you can be conscious of. So if you're conscious of your shoe or your leg or your foot or your hair or your shirt or the room you're sitting in, you have consciousness of that. To the degree that you are aware of it, that is the degree of your consciousness. That is how much consciousness you have. It can be quantified in that way. Now, if you've got consciousness of the tail of the dog, that is these outer things, that's great. That's a start. But we need to back up from there. We need to become conscious of the body. And one of the things that Vipassana meditation taught you is to be aware and conscious of the sensations on your body because there are sensations on your body 24-7. Whether you're awake or asleep, they're always there. Whether you're aware of them or not is dependent upon your consciousness, which is dependent upon your attention, which you can direct if you have the fuel to make the effort. If you don't have the fuel to make the effort, if you're too tired, you fall asleep. And when you fall asleep, you go unconscious of the sensations on your body and unconscious of your thoughts and unconscious of your feelings as a rule, except in a hypnagogic state or the dream state where you are semi-conscious of something, but not necessarily through the five senses. So this self-remembering that we're talking about, proper self-remembering, is 
the maintenance of this relationship between consciousness, the body, and the world, the external world, that is rendered through the five senses, rendered to us through the five senses. So where is it rendered? Well, it's rendered in consciousness. Your consciousness is like a blank sheet of paper, and the five senses then render the world onto it. If you'll think of just the way you see, you know that light comes and it strikes the eyeball, and then the eyeball through nerves sends this picture upside down to the back of the brain and projects it on a screen there. And then your brain turns it around right side up. That's basically how it works, roughly. <laughs> In a gross kind of way, that's how it works. So I'm sure that a brain scientist or a whatever would be able to fill in a lot of blanks, but essentially that's good enough. You know, that's how it works. Life is doing the same thing with us. It's rendering onto this screen of our consciousness this stuff. And we're just allowing it, it's like a kid with a crayon, or like a thousand kids with crayons and a white wall. And they just get to scribble on it anything that they want, and it's there. And some of it, they're using indelible markers. And we're having problems with this because we can't render anything else onto this. As impressions come in, they just go right into these old associations, right into these old patterns, right to these little eyes with their crayons and indelible markers, and they're rendering what they render on the wall, what they always rendered. They always scribble the same thing. They always like the same color. Look at a kid's coloring book, and it'll give you an idea of what these little eyes in us are doing. And that is the tail wagging the dog. We've got to find this balance, and we've got to maintain this balance between the three, between the world of things and people, the body through the five senses, and consciousness. In other words, we've got to be aware of all three of those things at the same time. Now, that's not easy because that's not where we're working from. We're working from, instead of the dog wagging the tail, we're working from the opposite end. The tail's wagging the dog. So we don't have any consciousness to speak of that we can use to bring these three things into proper relationship. But that's what we need to do. So how it would look is I look through the machine of my body into the multifaceted world of people and things. I am looking through this machine that is my body to the world of multifaceted things and people. This is the proper relationship of the three. I am looking through this machine that is the body at the things that the five senses are rendering, this world the people and the things that the five senses are rendering. I am looking through it, so I am in charge. I am wagging the tail, not the tail wagging the dog. Unfortunately, this isn't given to us like breathing or like our heart beating. This isn't something that just comes naturally to us. We must make certain specific efforts to do it, and those efforts burn fuel, and they burn a lot of fuel really fast. Rex and I were talking the other day, and he said, I don't turn the heater on because it's propane and it costs fifteen hundred dollars to fill the propane tank and that heater burns propane in a hurry four dollars a gallon it's outrageous so i don't turn it on we burn firewood to keep our house warm we just dress more warmly but we're going to start burning firewood and so this is the same idea you know it reminded me of that when he said that it's like yeah you know this burns fuel quickly trying to get the dog wagging the tail burns fuel quickly Apart from the right knowledge and fuel, why can't you remember yourself more often and for longer periods, no matter how hard you try? Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try, you just can't remember yourself for very long and not very often? And as a matter of fact, if you weren't coming here a couple times a week and I wasn't reminding you of it, you'd probably forget about it altogether. And maybe think of it a couple of times a month, maybe a couple of times a year until you forgot it altogether. 
That's part of the reason. How hard you try, how seriously you approach it. Most people that I know in this group will think, oh, we need to try harder. We need to be more serious. We need to be more solemn about this. Isn't that what you think, Diana? Yes, because you're the religious one. And you're going to come up with the most religious answer. You're going to knuckle down. You're going to tighten the screws down on yourself. You're going to go directly to self-flagellation. And you're going to mortify your flesh. And you're going to make yourself do it. And that hinders us. That slows us down. Where's the joy in that? Where's the happiness in that? Where's the fun in that? There isn't any. When we try so hard, it's an indication we've begun to work for results. An instruction that we consistently fail to follow. Don't work for results. This work says over and over again, don't work for results. And we consistently fail to follow that simple instruction. We consistently go back to working for results. Because it's the tail wagging the dog. Because the tail wants results. Because it's all out here, and how we measure everything is all out here. It's all at the ultimate end of ourselves, the tail, the tip of the tail. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for some change at the tip of the tail. When all the change that needs to happen is in consciousness, which is at the exact other end of ourselves. So if you're looking at yourself like a dog, and the dog's head is where consciousness is, and the dog's tail is where the world is, then you look and you move from tail to head, you're moving from the world, the external world, through the body to the consciousness. If you turn the dog up on end and set him up on his tail, then you'll see that it's also not only more internal, but it's also higher. You're moving higher. So who you are, your real I, is much higher than this world. But stuck down here in the prison of this world, we're not conscious of who we really are, what real I is, or what it's connected to, or what it wants to do, or what it wants, what its will is. Because it doesn't matter what the will of the dog is if the tail of the dog is wagging the dog. The tail is the one with the will, not the dog. We need to get the will where it belongs, not where it currently is. And as I said, it's not easy. Results is a two-edged sword. We identify with the result we get and the one we don't get. See, this is the problem with you, for example. I never hear you talk about, well, I rarely hear you talk about the results you got. Oh, this is so wonderful. And if you do, it passes quickly. But you do talk about the results you don't get. And it's a lot the same as when people become indignant when they pray and they rag on God because he didn't answer their prayers. As if we had the right to determine what something higher should do. In other words, it again is an indication of our belief that the tail can wag the dog, that we down here can wag the infinite consciousness of the universe, the creator of everything, that we can push a couple buttons and make it do what we want, the tail wagging the dog. I'm really hammering the tail wagging the dog thing, aren't I? It's all right. I'm not stepping on the dog's tail, I hope. There's no way to work properly in a state of identification which we are not struggling against. What I mean when I say struggling against, I mean if you're in a state of identification and you're not struggling against it like a salmon swimming upstream, if you're not making the effort to go against it, then there is absolutely no hope of you working properly. Because if you're identified, whatever you're doing is going directly to false personality. It will not go to anything real. It can't. It will go directly to the tail. It will not go to the consciousness. The visible body is the tail of the dog. It's the result of three forces, 
remember, three forces, the law of three, as are all other manifestations. If you see it, if you're looking at it, it is a result of the law of three. It is a manifestation of the law of three. Three forces have come together, and that's why it exists. Nothing works properly unless its parts are put in right order. So unless you put the push rods on the crankshaft and the pistons on the push rods and the head on the block and the valves in the head, unless you do all that, the motor's not going to run properly. And we're much more complex than that. There's a lot of stuff that has to be properly ordered. Well, the right order is law of seven. And if we don't have the right order, then it's like the tail wagging the dog. If we do have the right order, then everything works differently. Order is scale. Think about it like a ladder with one rung below or above another rung. It's just that simple. That's what the law of seven is. It's the law of octaves. There are seven notes, seven rungs in this scale. And you have one and then another and then another. And you can either ascend or descend on that scale. That's the law of seven. That's what order is. It's very simple. Most see cause and effect as the outworking of universal law, but they often leave out an important part. What is the third force in cause and effect? We don't think about these things, but I ask you to think about these things. That's why I come up with these talks, so that you will think about these things, so you apply them to your own life. Whatever it is you're doing, if you're driving a bus, if you're pulling the top off a colony of bees, if you're filling a jar of honey, if you're climb every mountain, ford every stream, whatever it is you're doing, whatever it is you're doing, be thinking about these things and how it relates to these ideas. This is what this is about. This is what the application of this is about. So what is the third force in cause and effect? Cause has to be sandwiched between two things to make a manifestation possible. It is here we most often fail. If I will to do something, I must find an effective cause to bring about the desired effect. Okay, I have my iPad here. Everybody see the iPad? Mm -hmm. I will to pick it up. Now, what is going to cause that? Action. Well, action, yeah, but what is the action? I will my muscles to reach over there and pick up that iPad. And so now I have the iPad in my hands because my will moved my muscles. What was the cause? My muscles. What is the will then? It is the aim. It is the goal. It is the intention, exactly. And so the part that we leave out is the will. We look at the cause and we look at the effect because that's the outermost. You see how it's outermost? The effect is the tail. The cause is the body. But the will is the consciousness. And that's what we leave out. And we leave it out because we don't have much consciousness. We really don't. We spend all of our time out here at the tail. And what happens then? I aim to pick up the chair. I will it. That's what happens. It's the primary. The cause, my muscles moving, is the middle. And the result is the moved chair. That's the effect. So you see that as we're talking about these three things, we want to look at them and keep them maintained. We want to keep in our minds, keep maintained in our consciousness, this idea of these three in proper relationship, the way they're supposed to be. Will, muscles, body, consciousness, body, effect. The world and the things in the world. You'll Notice that the chair or the iPad are things in the world. You notice that my body is different from the iPad. You notice that my will is different from my body. My will controls my body. When my body controls my will, then I have a problem. When the world controls my body, then I have a problem. We have a problem because that's how things are. Clearly, the will isn't on the same rung of the ladder as the muscles any more than the chair is on the same rung as the muscles directed by the will. 
So we have the scale, we have the proper order. The way things need to work, if they're going to work properly, is will, body, world. Work from the inside out to the external. That's how it's supposed to work. That's the best way for it to work. Each occupies a lower rung than the former because the higher can't rightly obey the lower. Why is it that this world looks like it does? Because the world is not obeying the higher, it's obeying the lower. It's the tail wagging the dog. And when the tail wags the dog, it's insanity. A big dog with a tail can do a lot of damage in a house. But a big tail with a big dog on the end of it can do a lot more damage. And if you look at our world, you'll notice that we have idiots wielding sledgehammers and atomic bombs and weapons of mass destruction and armies that are destroying the planet. We have greedy little people who are bent on getting what they want, and that's the tail wagging the dog. The bigger picture isn't taken into consideration. There's nothing happening from the top down for us. It's all happening from the bottom up. We've got it all turned around. This is what we need to change. Because the higher can't rightly obey the lower. Without right order, the body is in control, and the tail inefficiently wags the dog. Then our lives and the world looks as it does. And the best word for that is grim. Now, I'm not a pessimist. I am full of hope because I know that this can be turned around individually. I know it can't be turned around by the world, but I know that individuals can turn it around. I know that you can turn it around. I know that I can turn it around. I know that we can start to bring these three things into their proper relation in ourselves and start to change how we do things. I know we can do that because we have done that to some degree, and we can continue to do that. If we aim to remember ourselves, we begin to become more conscious internally on a higher rung of the ladder, looking down or out at the body as more external. This is our goal. This is something that we can do if we work at it consistently. This is the awakening of which esoteric ideas speak. Sadly, we're so turned around, it often tastes nasty to us, like veggies taste nasty to somebody who's addicted to sugar. You give someone a choice who's addicted to sugar between vegetables, they'll pick sugar, they'll take candy every time. Every time. Because they're addicted to it. Because they are improperly connected because the tail is wagging the dog because they're not allowing something higher to dictate to something lower what it needs they're letting something lower dictate to something higher what it wants and there's a huge difference and that's why we look like we look and that's why we need to do something about it well that's one of the reasons we need to do something about it because the tail has wagged the dog so long the habit makes it easy to revert to it this is why effort is needed it's like the salmon swimming upstream. The stream's flowing down this way. In order for the salmon to get up there, it needs to make a lot of effort. Same with us. If we stop making effort, the stream will take us back down, the stream being the habits that we have established in life. We must become conscious at the level of aim rather than effect so that we can cause the desired effect, the dog wagging the tail. So we need to be more aware of our aim. When the tail is wagging the dog, we're fast asleep. When we're fast asleep, the tail is wagging the dog. So if you're fast asleep, life is running you. You are at the effect of life. Asleep, we have no aim or a weak aim. Neither will produce an effect. If you have no aim, you will get no effect. If you have a weak aim, you'll get no effect. You've got to have a strong aim. You've got to remember it. And you've got to remember it on a daily basis. That's your task. Now get to it. You light up an instant matter. What's part of a cosmic